Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Glad you're with us for the Wednesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We're brought to you today by Gabby. As you might have guessed, if you've looked at the headlines today, there are no good martinis. They're all bad. And Jim, they're all really bad. Two of them deal with yesterday's Senate races, and the last one deals with what will happen in the joint session of Congress today. Uh, let's start with the Senate results. Uh, the pollsters had these neck and neck all the way. Uh, just about everyone has called the one Senate race for the Reverend Raphael Warnock over Kelly Loeffler. That is disturbing on a number of levels, not only because it leaves everything up to the Purdue Ossoff race, which is uh, looking very much like it's going to go to John Ossoff. Uh, it means that Raphael Warnock is going to the United States Senate. And uh, this guy's likely to be the AOC of the upper chamber. I mean, we've chronicled his far left, very radical views on a variety of things uh, ever since uh, the runoff began. But he is going to be uh, a senator from the state of Georgia for at least the next two years. Uh, and the way things are looking, especially with the outstanding vote, that John Ossoff will probably edge out David Perdue. As a result, the Senate balance 50-50, which for the moment uh, gives the Republicans the majority. But come January 20th, Kamala Harris will break that tie, not Mike Pence. And then the Democrats will have the majority. We'll talk about what that means for the Senate come January 20th in our second martini. But uh, Jim, how these two races got away is our first very bad martini. If you go back to election night, David Perdue was the top vote getter, but Georgia has a rule that you have to have 50% to avoid the runoff. He just barely missed it. Uh, and so then he had to go into the runoff against Ossoff. Um, but he won by about two points, or at least he was ahead by two points in that initial round on November 3rd. The other races, as we've discussed with uh, Leffler and Warnock and Collins, uh, that one had so many candidates that nobody was even close to 50%. Warnock had the most because there were two prominent Republicans in the race. But uh, with it looking like there was going to be a Biden presidency and a Democratic House, although a narrower majority than first expected, uh, that tended to set the stage well for Republicans. Look, if you don't want Democrats to control everything, you got to send at least one of these people back, preferably both of these back. But then something weird happened, Jim. It wasn't about stopping the Democrats. The whole narrative became about whether you could trust elections. President Trump obviously talking about this a lot, uh, but his lawyers, or at least lawyers sympathetic to him were doing this. December 2nd, here's Lynn Wood telling people not to vote for Leffler or Purdue unless they do exactly what he wants them to do, which was to call a special session of the Georgia General Assembly. Do not be fooled twice. This is Georgia. We ain't dumb. We're not going to go vote on January 5th in another machine made by China. You're not going to fool Georgians again. If Kelly Loeffler wants your vote, if David Perdue wants your vote, they've got to earn it. They've got to demand publicly, repeatedly, consistently, Brian Kemp call a special session of the Georgia legislature. And if they do not do it, if Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue do not do it, they have not earned your vote. Don't you give it to them. 
So there you go. Lynn Wood basically in a MAGA hat, mind you, telling people not to vote for Republicans in two races that everyone knew would be very close based on what we saw in November. Also, Robert Cahaley, the very reliable pollster from Trafalgar, said that uh, the Senate rejecting $2,000 stimulus checks at the last minute also worked against the Republicans because McConnell and uh, the Republicans uh, nixed that. So if that had never been brought up after the stimulus checks that were part of the deal that did pass last month, uh, perhaps that would have gone better for Republicans as well. So uh, the Republicans basically needed a perfect storm to blow the Senate majority, and the perfect storm is what we got. You know, Greg, uh, I think you lay out everything very well and very clearly there. I think there's just one other thing that I would kind of add to this, which is that up until very recently, and I mean like 2014 and even after recently, uh, Georgia was a very Republican state. I went back and I looked and this, you know, they've won every Senate election in this state since 2002. The winner of the 1998 Senate election was Zell Miller. And I'll give all of our listeners with long memories some time to remember spitballs. <laughs> because by the end of his term, Zell Miller was giving the keynote address at the 2004 Republican convention, which should give you a sense of just how conservative a Democrat Zell Miller was, at least on certain you know, foreign policy, national security issues. Uh, Republicans had won every gubernatorial race in Georgia. And I said since 1998, they lost 98. They won every one since 2002. Uh, despite what Stacey Abrams might tell you. Uh, Republicans won every lieutenant, lieutenant gubernatorial race since 2004, every secretary of state race since 2002, every state attorney general race since 2006. So from the early to mid George W. Bush years, Georgia became a really Republican state. Big majorities in the state legislature. Uh, Republicans have won the presidential election in eight of the past nine cycles heading into 2020. And now all of a sudden, not only did Joe Biden defeat Donald Trump, narrowly, by about, you know, 10,000 so, 10, so votes in Georgia. Uh, they've now lost two Senate elections in this state simultaneously. Um, and by the way, when I go back to say, look at those, you know, victories back then, Republicans used to win by huge margins not that long ago. 2014, really the last glimpse of, you know, non-Trump normal politics. Uh, Republicans won the gubernatorial election by more than 200,000 votes. Last time Purdue was on the ballot, he won by 197,000 votes. And the down ticket races, Republicans were winning by like 400,000 votes each. That's how Republican this state was as recently as 2014. 2015, Donald Trump comes along. And Donald Trump is a very different kind of candidate. And as I lay out in the morning, Joel, Chuck Schumer was saying in 2016, for every blue-collar white that you know, Trump picks up, we're going to pick up two suburban voters who usually vote Republicans. Well, that math didn't work out real well for the Democrats in 2016. But it worked out better in 2018. And when it finally got to 2020, you know, if Trump, Trump lost the presidential election, in large part because he lost in the suburbs. Now, the interesting thing is certain Republican down-ticket candidates did do better in the suburbs. Uh, particularly, you know, uh, Michelle Steele, Young Kim in Orange County come to mind. Uh, you look at where Republicans picked up House seats in 2020, a good chunk of those were, were suburban Republican districts. Suburbs are where elections are won and lost. And Lynn Wood, with his kooky ideas and his claims of conspiracies and uh, very QAnon, in fact, he's a believer in QAnon and claims that uh, John Roberts is involved in uh, child smuggling and Mike Pence is uh, a traitor and needs to be charged with treason and lined up against a firing squad and I'm, I'm waiting for the Bermuda Triangle and Loch Ness Monster and all you know. 
surprise, surprise, this scares away the soccer moms. Everybody who's driving a minivan, you know, in all the cul-de-sacs does not like this. And this is what cost Republicans the two Senate races. Purdue, you can want to gripe about Purdue and Loeffler, fine. But remember, Purdue wasn't doing that bad. And he won that the, in November by 88,000 votes. So what caused, though, that 88,000 vote margin to disappear and then turn into a 15,000 vote deficit? The fact that the president spent the last two months spending a lot more time raging about Brad Ruffensberger and Brian Kemp than he ever did about Raphael Warnock or John Ossoff is a big, big factor in why Republicans are now the minority party in the Senate, albeit in a very close race. And there was one poll, I don't think it was Trafalgar, but what was it, 55% of very conservative voters said they weren't going to vote. I don't know if that turned out to be the case or not, but uh, if it's anywhere close to that, uh, the margins were tight enough that that could have made a huge difference in these races. So I don't want to bleed into our third martini here, Jim, but uh, where do Republicans go from here? If you still got a oh, decent- Oh, we're, we're bleeding, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if, if you've got a significant chunk of people who tend to vote Republican, or at least tended uh, to support President Trump, uh, who don't trust the system anymore, you know, you would think with Democrats uh, controlling things in Washington- uh, whatever happens over the next two years, they're going to be ripe for a thrashing at the midterms. That's usually how it goes. But if people don't actually feel like they can show up and have their vote count, uh, I I don't know what to expect anymore. Well, I'll I'll make an observation about this demographic. And I I describe them as Trump supporters. And generally, they are. But if Lynn Wood says you should not vote, and Donald Trump says, yes, you should, and you choose not to vote, maybe they shouldn't really be called Trump supporters. Maybe they'd be more accurately described as uh, Linwood supporters. Maybe they'd be you know, QAnon Republicans, whatever. You know, there's a, we need a better label for the people who chose to stay home and just you know, describe themselves as very conservative, but just didn't see any point with control of the Senate and an incoming Democratic president and a Democratic House. They just didn't see the stakes as high enough to show up and vote because they believed in Uh, voting machines, changing their votes to Democrats and stuff like that. Ideally, Republicans would win as many votes amongst as many demographics as possible and win big. If that is impossible, if you reach a point where you have to choose between suburban voters, Greg, you and I live in the suburbs. You know what what suburbanites do just about every year, Greg? What? Well, besides clean out the gutters, they (laughs) vote. They vote in presidential elections. They vote in midterm elections. They vote in off-year gubernatorial elections. If there are elections in your local in the locality that are not held in November, they show up and vote in them. You know why? Because a lot of these suburban voters who are not exciting, who are not who don't get a lot of attention, they're they're not you know the the hot demographic that you know political consultants like to talk about. All those boring suburbanites driving their minivans, the soccer moms, the white collar dads, all that kind of stuff. Do you, you know what they do? They vote the same way that they brush their teeth, the same way that they clean up their gutters, they change their oil, they file their taxes. They do all the they make contributions to their 401k. They do what they're supposed to do. That's a really great demographic because it means you don't have to worry too much about get out the vote efforts. They're going to show up and vote no matter what. Now you got this other demographic that you know Trump has demonstrated when fully mobilized can win states like Michigan, can win states like uh, Wisconsin. We can win a whole bunch of states that Republicans hadn't won in a really long time. And boy, that looks really tempting, but there's one catch. The catch is that if Lynn Wood shows up and says the Loch Ness Monster says you shouldn't vote, they're not going to vote. They'll stay home because they believe in crazy, kooky things. And at that point, if you're that unreliable, if you're that erratic, if your thinking is that illogical, if two lawyers you've never heard of can just show up and hold a rally, and have a not get out the vote rally, 
have a stay home and not vote rally and you listen to them. No political party should waste one moment trying to cater to you because you're just that unreliable. You're not worth the effort and they should put all of their efforts into winning the suburbanites because the suburbanites show up and vote, you're in and you're out. Can you tell I feel strongly about this, Greg? <laughs> yes, I can, and for a good reason. Uh, I don't know if Lynn Wood is eligible for this year's Worst Political Idea Award since he actually said it last year, but uh, his impact on 2021 uh, might be among the most significant, depending Strong on- Strong contender, early on. <laughs> contender. All right. I, I, I do have some good news. It's not one of the martinis, but it is our great sponsor today. You know, with Democrats likely to be running the show all across Washington next year, you're going to want every last dime in your pocket. Trust me. Uh, and one of the ways you could do that is by making sure you've got the best insurance rates for your auto insurance and your homeowner's insurance. How'd you like to keep an extra, on average, $961 a year in your pocket? Pretty good, right? That's better than the individual stimulus check. That's how much Gabby customers save per year on average on car and home insurance. And that's why when you're shopping for car insurance, you should use Gabby. You know, Greg, this is the time of year when lots of people go shopping for insurance. And Gabby takes the pain out of shopping for insurance by giving you an apples to apples comparison of your current coverage with 40 of the top insurance. And we're talking about companies like Progressive, Nationwide, Travelers, flow from the commercials, I'm sure the little gecko, all the whole bunch of them. You just link your current insurance account and in just minutes, you'll be able to see quotes for the exact same coverage that you currently have. Now, like you mentioned earlier, Gabby customers save $961 per year on average. I bet you that would be nice to have in your pocket every year. And if they can't find you savings, they will let you know so that you can relax knowing you have the best rate out there and they will never sell your information. So you'll never have to deal with annoying spam or robocalls. And like we said so many times, Gabby makes it as easy as humanly possible. You just go to the site, you put in very basic information. I think there's about 10 prompts, but it's, I don't think any of it's anything you'd have to look up. It's like your address, your birth date, uh, things like that. Things that, uh, where folks will know what your uh, rates are likely to be based on your driving and, and, and your homeowner's insurance and that sort of thing. Eventually, you link to your current insurance policy. They give you a whole page uh, of uh, other companies that and their rates for the same coverage that you're already getting. And then you see if you're saving money. We are in a position where we were in a good shape and just stayed with what we had, but it's great to have that peace of mind too. But you're probably overpaying on car and home insurance. See how much Gabby can save you. It's totally free to check and there's no obligation. Go to gabby.com slash martini. That's G-A-B-I.com slash martini. Gabby.com slash martini. Jim, it's not ideal uh, that Joe Biden will be president. In fact, it's really, really bad. He's going to have a ton of terrible ideas. And given his current state, he's probably going to get shoved further left than even he wants to go. But if there had been a Republican Senate for at least these first two years of the Biden administration, uh, a lot of terrible ideas would get sent to the Senate. Mitch McConnell would take a long sip of his iced tea or his bourbon and go, nope. And uh, nothing would happen with that. But that's not likely to be the case now, assuming that Ossoff is... Uh, certified the winner over David Perdue. It'll be 50-50. Again, Kamala Harris will break the tie. That means Chuck Schumer is the majority leader. He sets the agenda. Now, we have assurances from Joe Manchin. Uh, your mileage may vary on how much you can trust those. I think for the moment we can, uh, that he will not vote to kill the legislative filibuster, which is huge. Hopefully, that means we won't see things like a public option or uh, the Green New Deal, although they would probably try to do those through reconciliation. But even then, I think he would probably vote against at least the Green New Deal, and that would, uh, that would sink those things. But things we could get, 
Uh, repeal of the tax cuts, which every Democrat voted against back in 2017. Uh, we're going to see the Equality Act, which forces the LGBT agenda into the curriculum of public schools and will make life more difficult for churches. Uh, we'll see massive spending, of course, not that Republicans necessarily have a strong leg to stand on on that issue, but uh, if they go forward with infrastructure, I'm sure that will be bloated beyond recognition. Uh, the freelance worker issue, which the House uh, passed in a way that was not kind to freelance workers, uh, will probably come up again. I don't know if it'll pass the Senate, but it could. Uh, the election bill that the Democrats passed right away when they got the majority in the House last time will probably be coming up again, which would not be good. They're going to try to enshrine a lot of things they, they got done through the courts and heading up to this election and beyond. Uh, and we'll probably, this probably might have happened anyway, but I think we'll probably see Stephen Breyer retire from the Supreme Court sooner rather than later. And I'm probably forgetting a lot of things, Jim. So we're going to see a lot of horrible ideas coming not only to the House, but to the Senate. And how much can be stopped? We'll see. But unfortunately, I think a lot of things we don't want to see will end up getting through somehow. You know, there's just a world of difference between having... 51 Republican senators and McConnell being majority leader and most of the most, you know, far left or fervent or, or sweeping proposals of the Democratic Party stopped before they began, right? There's, you know, a lot of people would say there's not even much, you can hold symbolic votes on them in the House, but not much point in spending a lot of energy on it or beating the drum for this stuff because it's just never going to get through the Senate. Now you are entirely reliant on what does Joe Manchin feel like voting for? And Joe Manchin is not the worst Democrat in the world, far from it, but I don't know how much, I, I don't know if I want to bet my mortgage on Joe Manchin resisting the efforts of his colleagues to arm twist him to go along with some variation of their agenda. Uh, I don't think he's going to completely go left, but I think on a lot of economic issues, he's going to go left. Um, look, Joe Biden is going to undo whatever he can that Trump did by executive order. It won't be everything, but, you know, stuff like uh, uh, the Paris Climate Accords, re you know, restoring funding for the World Health Organization, um, a lot of immigration stuff. Uh, you know, they're, they're, Biden's going to be able to do a lot. That's the price of doing stuff by executive order instead of doing it by legislature. Easy come, easy go. Now, the stuff that Republicans managed to get passed during the Trump years, you can at least say, well, if we keep the Senate, that stuff stays intact. Well, now, maybe not. I don't know if it's going to be a wholesale. It's not going to be the worst case scenario. As you mentioned, Manchin says he doesn't want to get rid of the filibuster. You're probably not going to see statehood for District of Columbia and uh, uh, you know, repealing the Electoral College and, and a bunch of other stuff. But look, Senate Democrats will have the opportunity to get stuff through through reconciliation, same way Senate Republicans did back in 2017. In fact, I think they have two bites at the apple through reconciliation this year. I refer you to other people who follow congressional procedure more than I do. Oh, by the way, Joe Manchin probably is more conservative in social areas than he is in economic areas. So last night, the Democrats got, one, the ability to get a lot more of their agenda done. And oh, by the way, you know, you know who's really feeling really good about last night, Greg? Who's that? Javier Becerra. Oh. Biden's nominee to be Health and Human Services and the, you know, partisan political hack with no experience in health policy, who would then be in charge of all kinds of stuff, including COVID-19 response. Um, you know, there was a chance to set a Senate was controlled by Republicans had a, sh a shot at blocking that guy. I think there's now almost no chance that he ends up being blocked. So Biden will get just about all of his uh, agenda of his cabinet through unless Bernie Sanders decides to nuke near a tandem. And, uh, you know, the, the Biden has a lot more leeway to get what he wants done. Biden may have actually preferred having Mitch McConnell there controlling the Senate and saying, look, I'd love to do this crazy lefty progressives, but 
McConnell controls the Senate. There's nothing I can do now. Uh, but there are a whole bunch of Democrats who are happy to have that problem. Yeah, it's it's tougher to run the majority, but all in all, you, you have a, a much better chance of getting what you know the policies you want enacted, and that's bad news for conservatives and Republicans. Yeah, you know, we used to talk about what side of the bed Anthony Kennedy got out of that morning, and now probably more John Roberts. Now it's going to be Joe Manchin and probably Susan Collins, maybe Lisa Murkowski. Those are the people they are going to end up deciding what passes and what doesn't if things get to a final floor vote. Hi, I'm Sarah Carter. On every edition of the Sarah Carter Podcast, I say we're taking back the story, and that's exactly what we have to do. Whether it's the Russia hoax, the relentless attacks on President Trump pretending Antifa doesn't exist, or covering up for the repressive Chinese government, the mainstream media isn't interested in the truth. It's up to us to uncover the truth and share it with others. Please join me in taking back the story on the Sarah Carter Podcast. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Jim, you mentioned the Electoral College there. Let's talk about that, because today the joint session of Congress is dealing with that. There's a massive pro-Trump rally going on in downtown Washington. Uh, The city sealed off the bridges like a feature film. (laughs) There's a major siege going on. Uh, Folks were trying to get directions to D.C. yesterday, and and Siri was not cooperating. But anyway, people figured it out. There's a a huge number of people downtown. Uh, But today's the day that the, uh, the joint session of Congress goes over the electors approved by the 50 states plus the District of Columbia. And this huge rally and a lot of people, including the president, seem to believe things can happen at this joint session of Congress that just can't happen. Uh, the president has put out a number of tweets. He says the vice president has the power to reject fraudulently chosen electors. He also says uh, states want to correct their votes, which they now know we're based on irregularities and fraud plus corrupt process, never received legislative approval. All Mike Pence has to do is send them back to the states and we win. Do it, Mike. This is a time for extreme courage. And then the Trump-Pence campaign, and I don't think Pence was part of drafting this statement that (laughs) came out yesterday, says the November 3rd election was corrupt in contested states and in particular it was not in accordance with the Constitution in that they made large-scale changes to election rules and regulations as dictated by local judges and politicians, not by state legislators. This means that it was illegal. Our vice president has several options under the U.S. Constitution. He can decertify the results or send them back to the states for change and certification. He can also decertify the illegal and corrupt results and send them to the House of Representatives for the one vote for one state tabulation. Jim, it's an interesting argument about whether uh, states should have been able to change laws without going through the legislature. I think it's a good argument. However, that fight should have happened long before the election. And uh, in some cases it did, some cases it didn't, but we're past the election now, so that fight can't happen prior to the election anymore. So uh, let's look at that last paragraph. He can decertify the results or send them back to the states for change and certification, or he can decertify the illegal results and send them to the House for the one vote for one state tabulation. As far as I can tell, he can do none of that. Am I wrong? You are correct, Greg. I'm, I'm turning into uh, Ed McMahon. <laughs> you are correct, sir. <laughs> yes. Um, look, first of all, uh, Mike Pence is not the teacher grading the students on their term papers and, and giving them back to them and saying, no, this is not acceptable. Pence's role in the congressional certification process is he's presiding over it, but he cannot intervene and he cannot overrule it. The law is clear. I put a link to the, uh, the part of the legal code in today's morning jolt. Um, you may recall recently, Congressman Louis Gohmert 
filed a lawsuit insisting that Pence does indeed have that authority and more or less saying Pence is obligated to do this. And something kind of curious happened. Mike Pence did not choose to join that lawsuit, uh, didn't want to touch it with a 10-foot pole and more or less implying, no, I don't have that power. Stop saying that I do. Um, now, if you're wondering, you may have seen, you know, Gohmert's lawsuit was rejected. I did not see nearly as many people like quoting from the legal decision directly. And do you know the response that wasn't Happy Gilmore? Who, who was, was uh, in, in the Adam Sandler movie where the guy says, may God have mercy on your soul because oh, you're so wrong. That would be Billy Madison. Billy Madison. Yes, thank you. I, I, you know, I believe it's um, one of the, the Saturday Night Live crews goes down that and says, at no point in your thing did you make a coherent point or anything like that. Everyone in this room is stupider for having listened to it. Uh, I award you no points and may God have mercy on your soul. <laughs> like This is as close as you're going to get to seeing a judge saying this. Uh, judge James E. Bosberg concludes the suit rests on a fundamental and obvious misreading of the Constitution. It would be risable were its target not so grave, the undermining of a democratic election for president of the United States. And, you know, this is where it really starts to sound like an Adam Sandler movie. He said, Goldmert and his lawyers do not explain how this district court has the authority to disregard Supreme Court precedent, nor do they ever mention why they have waited until seven weeks after the election to bring this action and seek a preliminary injunction based on purportedly unconstitutional statutes that have existed for decades. Courts are not instruments through which the parties engage in such a gamesmanship and symbolic political gestures. As a result, at the conclusion of this litigation, the court will determine whether to issue an order to show cause why this matter should not be referred to its Committee on Grievances for Potential Discipline of Plaintiff's Counsel. That is like akin to nuking <laughs> a argument in court by this U.S. District Judge. Um, this is nonsense on stilts. It is depressingly unsurprising that the president buys into it. Uh, no, Mike Pence cannot reject the elections. He cannot demand that the House select the elector. Um, and uh, the, you know, I, I, the assumption today, I, I don't know what Mike Pence is going to do today. It sounds like Mike Pence is just going to preside and he's not going to uh, intervene the way Trump wants. And Trump will apparently uh, go off on some Twitter tirade. Trump is ready to denounce Pence, which kind of makes raises the question of whether Mike Pence thinks it was worth it being loyal to Donald Trump for the past four years. Uh, and I think it probably lessens the likelihood that Mike Pence will ever be the Republican nominee for president. But uh, you reap what you sow, Greg, and a whole bunch of very painful reaping going on these days in the Republican Party. Well, basically what can happen today is if you have an objection, you need at least one member of the House and one member of the Senate to agree to it. And I think you then head to a debate, but then you need a majority in each chamber to essentially approve of the objection. And I'm not even sure where it would go from there. But the bottom line is you don't have the votes in either chamber. The Democrats control the House. And it's uh, perfectly clear there are enough Republicans right now in the Senate that they wouldn't have a majority there either. So uh, for those who believe that something dramatic was going to happen today, it's just not. It's just not going to happen today. Jim? That's been a long, depressing day. We'll see what impact uh, today has further down the road. I have a feeling it'll be significant, but we'll be here to chronicle it all and at least hopefully inject a little bit of mirth into all of this. See you then. At least tomorrow's Friday, Greg. See you tomorrow. <laughs> Jim Garrity, National Review. Thanks for being with us today. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Don't forget about our friends at Gabby, gabby.com slash martini. Also, please subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch. We are very grateful for your kind reviews and your five-star ratings. Also, get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Have a great day and join us again on Wednesday for the next Three Martini Lunch.